You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning, and it's good to be back with you. So good to worship the Lord this morning. Hope you sense that as well. Good to sing His praise. I love that. Put on a garment of praise and heavy heart, so that's good. And uh, appreciate Brandon. There's Brandon filling in last week. Thank you for doing that. So really appreciate that. Um, I'd invite you, we're going to the book of Philippians, but don't go there. There's a way to start a series. Uh, Head to the book of Acts first, Acts 16, because I'm going to read this. It's a little longer portion. It's going to help, kind of help us. Today I'm helping us get a background. We're going to get to the book, but get a background for where are we, because we're just kind of landing in a new place, New Testament. We've been in the Old Testament for a while in the book of Joshua, and we are, we are now in the New Testament. Again, kind of going back and forth, but, but head to Acts 16, and I'm going to start at verse 6, and... Uh, we're going to look at Paul's kind of his, his Macedonian call, as it were, and then kind of this story of, of life in Philippi and what happens there. You guys can put, I think I've got two maps. You can put the first map up here. We're maps again, so there you are. Uh, can't get away from them. So uh, we've been in Jerusalem, and we've been in, in uh, the promised land with Joshua. We are heading some 800 miles straight line distance, though longer, out to Philippi. Kind of up, you can see the bold words, Thrace. It's, it's up there, but I'll leave that up as I read this to know we're joining Paul and others, Silas, as they're, they're going to enter Philippi. So let me read the text of Scripture, and then we will get to Philippians. So hear this as a background. I'll start in verse 6. And they went through the region of uh, Fergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Thamothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, 
having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. We're going to stop there. Let me pray as we continue. Father, your work has been from eternity past, for you are the I am. You who created all things, orchestrating time and space, sending Christ Jesus, and here sending Paul, Silas, Luke, Timothy, to a new area. And Lord, you've recorded this for us to read about and to study. Father, I pray as we begin this study in the book of Philippians that you would bless our time. Again, Lord, as we often pray, Lord, may this not just be an academic exercise to answer biblical trivia questions. You're so much more, Lord, than a trivia question. You're the God of the universe You are Savior, our Lord, Emmanuel, Jesus, the Messiah. So, Lord, show us more of you, Jesus, through what we study. And I do pray, Lord, bless our time. Bless the ears that will hear, eyes that will see the scriptures on the page. And may you transform us through this study to be made more in the image of Christ. And so we pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Amen. Well, Acts 16, hopefully you caught it, gives, gives us a little bit of the background, backstory to where we're going. And Paul had been called to Macedonia or Greece, and so landing at Neapolis and having crossed that Aegean Sea, Paul, Timothy, Silas, Luke, all these guys, they find themselves in the city of Philippi, long ways, as I said, 800 miles from Jerusalem. 
And they preach the gospel to Lydia and her household saved, this slave girl that has the demon cast out. Um, that episode ends up uh, causing Paul and Silas not only to be in jail, but to be beaten as well. But did you see that even as we, as we see them in, in jail, they're doing something amazing. It was in verse, verse 25, as we read, midnight, what are they doing in jail? They're praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So having been beaten that day, they're praying and singing hymns to God. And I, I don't know about you, I don't know that this is our typical stance or mode when we face trials like this, but it was theirs. They were praising their Lord. And then even in the midst of that jail prison experience, the gospel goes forward and the jailer and his family believe and are saved. And, and, and I believe it's from these converts, these beginning converts in the city of Philippi, that then a small church was formed in Philippi. And so now I want you, if you're not there already, to turn to the book of Philippians, past the Corinthians. If you do that device, go eat popcorn, it's go, go is Galatians, eat is Ephesians, and popcorn is Philippians. If that helps you remember. Somehow I find myself saying that every time I come here, but uh, that's where you come, and you find Philippians, that book. And in particular, we'll just be looking at verses 1 through 2. But if, if we fast forward here around maybe 10 years from our Acts 16, around 10 years forward, here we come to this letter written by Paul to the church at Philippi. This had been the place, Macedonia, place of calling, of ministry, but also of trial, of suffering, and yet a place where Christ was made known. And so it's this letter... This letter of Paul to the Philippians, this church, that that's what we're going to look at over the next several months uh, together. I want to mention two things before we go on. One is very elementary, but uh, you can study the spelling of Philippians, and hopefully you can spell it uh, better than I can. I'm getting there. The more I study, the better I get, but it's like Mississippi. There's a lot of, it feels like there should be more L's. There's only one, and there's two P's in it. Hopefully by the end you'll get a spelling of Philippians. For whatever reason, it's just hard to spell, but you've got it before you, so it's helpful. And then also, if, as you're taking use of these journals, I hope you can use them. I hope they're of, of value to you, and they're a, a way to kind of keep things together. Uh, and we've got them in the back, and you've passed them out. Appreciate uh, Carrie and Brandon showcasing that, passing them out. Uh, hopefully you can use them. Kids, too, if you guys, if you kids are of an age to say, Hey, I want to take some notes in here. Feel free. You're welcome to use those as well. Um, those are a few notes as we get in. But by way of an introduction to this book, rather than just going, here's the date, here's the author, that sort of thing, we're going to use kind of these first two verses of the book because I think they fit and they're helpful to us to get an idea of where we're going and of this book. And I love it. It's so fun. I know there's four chapters in this book. There's, there's just so much in every line here. But um, we're going to look at the first two, and then we'll branch off where needed just to help us get a background, an understanding of this book. Because um, we're entering into a place in history, a real place, a real time. If you're into an outline 
uh, for this particular message as we look at things. We're going to be looking at them in three parts, and I don't do this all the time, but, but uh, in this part today, we're looking at Paul and Timothy as servants. So we're looking at basically three S words. So servants, saints, we're going to look at, and then their source. So we're going to look at what are these servants? Who are they? Looking at the saints, those in Philippi, saints, looking at that a little bit, and then their source, the source. So let's just read the first two verses of this book. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, this is Paul and Timothy, but Paul is the author. Who is Paul? And we might know some about him, but he's a unique character because he's both a Roman citizen. This is good because we're in a Roman colony. We'll talk about that a little more. But he's a Roman citizen, yet he's also, or he was, an adherent of Judaism. He calls himself a, a Hebrew of Hebrews a Pharisee from the school of Hillel where Gamiel, or, uh, Gam- yeah, Gamiel was his teacher. But you remember Paul and his conversion. Paul is on a road trip, I think it's, yeah, to Damascus to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. And who does he encounter on this road trip of persecution? Jesus Christ. He encounters them on that, on that, along the way and he's converted to Christ And he begins to be used of God in mighty ways to establish Christ's church throughout. And I think God uses Paul's unique background, uh, his Jewish background even, to minister and teach. And he uses the Old Testament to show the people the Messiah, who is Jesus. Uh, One resource counted up Paul's quotations of the Old Testament, 90 of them, that Paul uses throughout uh, his letters amongst other kind of indirect quotations or influences. His writings, Paul's writing, we're not in a unique writing of Paul. Uh, they total 13, 13 epistles. If you count just purely by count, it's about half of the New Testament in terms of books. In terms of length, about a quarter of the New Testament is Paul's writing. So that's who's writing this. But a question is, for us, may come to our minds, where is Paul writing from? Where is Paul when he's writing this, this book? If there was a postmark on the front of the envelope, which I'm not sure they had envelopes, but where would it say that this letter originated from? Unfortunately, we don't have that envelope from this letter to say we don't know exactly where Paul is writing from, but there's a couple ideas. One of the surest things we can say is Paul was writing from a prison. He was in imprisonment somewhere. And there's three ideas of just where these were. Um, so the, the, the letter itself tells us he's in, in a prison. We'll see that as we go through it. But there's some ideas out there. There's some options. One is Ephesus. You might remember the letter to the Ephesians. One, maybe he's in a prison in Ephesus. Perhaps he's in a prison in Caesarea or a prison in Rome. So there's three, and maybe there's more out there, but three really options uh, of where Paul was from. And each has their advantages, but just for the sake of time, I'm just going to share my opinion. You can go look it up to your heart's content. Where is this and why here? And, mm, but there's this thing, and, and you can sort that out. Again, not knowing for sure, but I lean towards what's been really the historic view of the location of Paul's writing, and that's from Rome, while imprisonment 
in Rome. Uh, a couple things. In Philippians 1.13, if you look there, if you're close, uh, it says it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And another way to say that, the whole praetorium. And that kind of has a, uh, that would fit perhaps in Rome. But as people would point out, it could fit other places. This, this kind of this house of, of the, the guards, the Roman guards, that, that idea, but possibly Rome. Uh, also at the end of the book, in the last, one of the last verses of the book, it, he talks about those of Caesar's household greet you. And so that gives us, I think to me, I'm thinking Caesar's household, where's Caesar's? In Rome. So they send the greetings, so thinking he's in Rome, but again, maybe, maybe in Caesarea as well. We're not getting into that much, but just know it's there. Where? Let's say Rome. Either place, we know he's writing from the prison, from prison, where he's at. And we know he was writing to people at Philippi. Getting back to our text, I want you to look at how Paul describes both himself and his companion, Timothy. And he describes themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. Servants. Little little side thought on servants of Christ Jesus. Because in Acts 17, just a chapter beyond where we read, it says this about God. And we're to think about this. God is not, it says God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Wait, God is not served by human hands. Paul calls himself a servant. What's going on? How should we understand them as servants? And lo and behold, here's one definition of the word servants used here, and it goes like this. One who is a slave in the sense of becoming the property of an owner. The term, and then they go on to say, focuses attention primarily upon his belonging to Christ or to God. If there was a key word to pull out of there, I'd pull out belonging. Paul and Timothy those who belong, those who are slaves, those who are servants, if your Bible has that word for the translation of Christ Jesus. We tend, we, I'm included in this, think of being a servant of God and we might think, here's what I do for God. I'm a servant, I'm going to serve God. Here's what I do for God. But I think that can... And not that that's not commanded to serve God, but it can lead us to a path of really centeredness on us, on what we do. But Paul describes who we are. He tells us who we are in this way. Another book, Titus 2.14. He refers to those whom Christ Jesus redeemed as a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. For his own possession. Or 1 Corinthians 6.19, it's talking about sexual sins and immorality. Paul asks, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So I think closer to that idea of servant is that idea of belonging to Christ, purchased, possessed by Christ. So there is a belonging to Christ before a doing for Christ. We don't do for Christ in order to belong. We belong. And because we belong, we work. We're His workmanship, created in Him to do good works. 
So the gospel, really, it's not about what we do for Christ. Really, if you think about it, it's what he's done for us. Think of that, that Mark 10.45. And I was reading an, an article on this, and it, I think it came out from there. And I don't know if you think about it this way, but think about this. What Mark 10.45, it says, Christ says he came not, uh, not to be served, but to serve. We've actually been served by Christ. We're the served ones by his grace grace and we've been served by him ransomed out to know christ now there is an aspect of serving the lord we're commanded to do that but here's what john piper he's careful to say he says this the only right way to serve god is in a way that reserves for him all the glory the only right way to serve God, we say, I'm going to serve God. The only right way is in a way that reserves for Him all the glory. When we focus on our deeds of service in advancement of God's kingdom, the glory becomes ours. Look what I've done for His kingdom. He's calling me. I've done this. Right? Instead of saying, look at what He's done. Look at His glory through this. He's the one, we're going to see in Philippians, he's the one who began a good work. You know, some of you, that verse is very familiar. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And he works in us as we work out our salvation. God works in us. So our serving, any serving we do, any doing we do is really only as he gives strength, power, and grace to do that serving. So I want us to begin even to think of this word servant, not so much as what I must do, though the doing comes, we follow, we worship, but to think of it as who do I belong to? Who is my master? Is it Jesus Christ or do you fill in the blank with some other master? Who are you a servant of? You in Christ, you purchased by him. You're not your own. Now, so we move on. Who is Paul writing to here? He's, he's writing to saints, the second part of verse 1, to all the saints, Christ Jesus, but they're saints in a particular place. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So I want to look just a little, just a little background to where we're at. You can show the next map there. It's a little closer in on Philippi. It's kind of in that box there and where we're at Philippi. We've come from... Jerusalem, 800 miles straight over to Philippi. According to one author, and again, I'm just kind of giving you some information, but this is helpful as we think about he's not just writing a letter to kind of a blank, generic place. It's a real place in history with culture and what's going on in this place. And so perhaps this is helpful to us. One author says, This church was situated in a historic city founded, maybe some of you knew this, Think back to our Sunday school class by the father of Alexander the Great. We say, hey, we studied some of that. Philip II of Macedon. And so it was named Philippi, named after him. This author goes on to say, after 31 BC, it was established as a military colony with special privileges of citizenship. So this book is written to a Roman colony in Philippi. This is a Roman colony place here, here in Macedonia, a Roman outpost, if you will, a colony. One other writer, a, a, a Gerald Hawthorne, he points out 
this about Philippi. It was, it was located about eight miles from the sea. So we're eight miles inland from the Aegean Sea there. Uh, very fer- in a very fertile region that was enriched by an abundance of springs and by the gold that was mined there. So they've got resources. It's also a place, I don't know if it's too, it's probably too faint. It's along what's called the Ignatian Way, an old Roman road system connecting Rome in the west to the east, kind of along this road. It'd be like for us saying Philippi was along I-90, kind of one of these, these main thoroughfares. And that's where we find Philippi, along the Ignatian Way. And then about the city, again, Hawthorne, he says this. This city was inhabited predominantly by Romans, but many Macedonian Greeks and some Jews lived there as well. They were a people, and he uses the word proud a lot, but they were a people proud of their city, proud of their ties with Rome, proud to observe Roman customs and obey Roman laws, proud to be Roman citizens. Philippi was a reproduction of Rome. And another commentary just kind of brought out just the social status of this particular place. I want you to look for that as we head through the book. And perhaps this week you'll just read through the book. I'm thinking it doesn't even take longer than 15 minutes to maybe read through the entire book. But look for it. Here's people in a, I think we might say, an affluent setting, a church amidst a place where there's springs, there's gold, there's a highway flowing, there's a status of Rome, And so Paul will later say in this very letter, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And when he says, but but, uh, our citizenship is in heaven, now knowing this is a Roman colony, citizenship where that meant something, we get an idea for why he would say, no, your citizenship is not Rome. It's not the place, it's in heaven. And so culture, understanding that, helps us understand the letter that we're going to be in. But to this church in Philippi, Paul also addresses them not as citizens of Rome, as we said, but he addresses them as saints. The Greek here for saints, holy ones. Holy ones. It's from the Latin uh, sanctus or holy. Did you get that back there, George? From Latin, sanctus, holy. Okay. It's a letter to these holy ones, the saints. So Paul's letter, it's not primarily, it's not a missionary letter, but it's a letter written to fellow believers. That's, That's also good to understand. He's writing to saints, believers in Jesus. And we know this, I'm kind of, kind of being, uh, trying to be funny, but it's, it's, we need to understand it's not a letter written to America or to a government or world leaders. It's written to the church, the saints those made holy by the imputed righteousness of Christ. And so it's worth our reading a letter to the church because that's what we are, believers in Christ, the church. Not, not because we have a building, but it's because of who we are in Christ. So lastly, for servants and these holy ones, these saints, there's a source. And the source of their grace and their peace is in verse 2. It's the last line, how Paul says this. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Grace is another writer, folks. He describes it this way. Undeserved favor that reconciles us to God through Christ, supplies all our needs, and gives us the privilege of service. Grace, undeserved favor. And then peace, he describes it this way. Peace in the Bible is more than the absence of conflict. It is complete well-being involving reconciliation to God and to our fellows and the blessing of inner peace. I think there's a, there's a reason Paul addresses so many of his letters with grace and peace. In fact, if you look at them, and you can do this through computers and whatever, you can look at, or just look through them through Scripture, all these 13 letters that Paul writes all begin with some form of this grace and peace. Grace and peace. They go together. Grace and peace goes together. We can't have peace with God without the grace of God. And to mankind, all of us who've been in conflict with God since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they're words of gospel truth. Grace and peace. Unless we forget just where the grace and peace comes from, Paul reminds us of the source. One little word in here that tells us from. Grace to you and peace. Not, it doesn't say because you earned it. Grace to you and peace, hopefully, it's from somewhere. Grace and peace has a source. It's the great news of the gospel. Grace and peace comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, applied to us by His Holy Spirit. A plan initiated by God before the foundation of the world. A plan accomplished by Jesus Christ who lived in sinless perfection. He was the spotless, pure lamb of sacrifice upon the cross. And then God, by His Holy Spirit, regenerates our heart by grace that we might come alive from our sinful death. We might believe and therefore be reconciled. The source is God. Our grace and peace comes from somewhere and we know some of us more than others it does not come from the world around us it has a source throughout this book and again we're not reading the whole book this morning invite you to do that it's hard to pin down one theme and and that can maybe be a challenge because paul can go here and there and, and he can do a lot through that hard to pin down one thing there's there's many things that are mentioned throughout this book And as you read, you're going to see themes of the day of Christ. That comes up. Or the call to rejoice in the Lord. You might remember that. Paul speaks of the Philippian church, their partnership in the gospel. Or he speaks of our unity in Christ. Or or God's working in them as they work out their salvation. But I think if you look at all of these and and then paired with what we see even in these first two verses, you see something or rather someone of a central role. And it's why kind of in your sermon notes with titled the series, To Live is Christ, or for, for to me, to live is Christ. The centrality of Christ is here, and you see it even in what we just read. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints, in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a focus three times Christ is mentioned, even just in this greeting. And I would say at the heart of this letter is Christ, the one who unifies, the one who's coming again, the one who we're to rejoice in. And so Paul can state in, in Philippians one twenty one, for to me, 
to live is Christ. It's the foundation of all, of the church, of the living, of worship, of rejoicing is Christ. We're going to unpack this and other things in later sermons. We want to get that down. Christ is the center of both our, both our vertical relationship and our horizontal relationships that we have. I encourage you to study the passage on your own. I, I believe next week we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 8. If you want to get a head start on looking at that and thinking on that, read through the book as a whole. But as you read, see this. See the one who made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant that we might be called servants of God. To see him whose death on a cross reconciled us to God and gives us the status as saints of God. And to see him who's our source of grace and peace. It's because of this gracious call of God that we are in Christ Jesus. First Corinthians talked about, talks about him as our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. So let us not come to this book or, or in our Christian lives, let us not boast in anything of what we've done, but to give glory to the Lord alone in our lives, to say, Jesus, you've done it all, and we worship you. Let me pray for us. Father, we've even gone over quite a few things, Lord, that I'm sure there's, there's more depth to them, even just in these couple verses of the beginning of this book. Servants, saints, and a source from you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people, Lord, those hearing in this room, a people that at the end of our lives say, I did nothing, God did it all, and he gets all the glory. He's accomplished all these things. He's brought me through this. We worship you. And Lord, even today, Father, in our striving, Lord, may you bring us back to remember we're only saints, we're only holy ones because of a word, a work, Lord, that you've done on the cross and in your, in your sinless life that we might have the righteousness of Christ put on us, clothed in those garments, the garments of Christ, that we might be reconciled to you, O Lord, so that we can actually right now pray and speak and commune with you. And Lord, as we celebrate communion today and we transition to that time, Father, I just pray this would be a time of reflection and great hope, Lord, not because we come to a table, because we earned a place at the table, for we have not. Lord, we've earned banishment from your table. You've graciously given us a chair and brought us to yourself. May we praise you for that as we celebrate this. In your name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.